Lord, we realize that every breath that we have is a gift from you. Lord, we deserve none of your blessing, yet you pour it out so abundantly. We thank you for your, for your grace, for your mercy, for the love that you continue to pour out upon us. But Lord, we thank you for that love that you displayed for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. fact that we sing great are you Lord that word is it falls so far short of the glory that you're due Lord our desire is that our lives would reflect the fact that we truly are grateful for all that you've given to us Lord our desire also tonight is that you would speak to us through your word and Lord, that we would continue this, this process that we are in, our sanctification, Lord, that we become more and more like you. We thank you for preserving your word for us. We thank you for this opportunity tonight to gather here openly and freely in the middle of our week, Lord, and to just seek you. Lord, have your way here tonight. Speak to us through your word. Change us. Transform us. Lord, we... We live in very difficult times. Lord, your word tells us that your, your eyes go to and fro looking for those who will, be, who will be faithful, who will stand in the gap for, for this world, Lord, that you gave your very life for. Lord, we know we cannot do that without your spirit. We pray you pour your spirit out upon us. Lord, speak to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Good evening. Grab your Bibles with me and open them up to 1 Kings. We find ourselves in chapter 17 tonight. We've been looking again over the, the history now of the children of Israel, and we've been looking over the last several weeks of the the period of the kings as they've ruled, and this, the shift of our study has focused now on the ten northern tribes, those that are known as the tribes of Israel, the southern two tribes, the tribes of Judah, and we spoke in previous weeks about the, the split that has come. There's a king over the southern two tribes and a king over the northern ten tribes, and as we finished up last time, we spoke of the fact that that right now reigning in the northern ten tribes is the most wicked king that they've had. We see in verse 30 of chapter 16, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than who were before him. All that were before him, Ahab takes the cake. And he is married to a woman named Jezebel, and as we pointed out last time, there's a reason nobody has ever named their child Jezebel since. <laughs> it's because of this woman here that we have seen we are introduced tonight in the midst of this dark, dark chapter in the history of Israel to one of my heroes, one of my heroes of the Bible, 
There's a few that I want to meet as soon as I get there. And, and I, t- I tell you what, if you're ahead of me in line to meet Elijah, I'm cutting in front, okay? <laughs> let, me, let me in. Because Elijah, to me, as I've studied him and, and had the privilege to teach this section a few times before, he d- it never ceases to amaze me, this man. And we're going to see how God uses Elijah in the midst of this dark, dark time. When we're, we're going to see as, as we get into chapter 18, Lord willing, tonight, that, that all of Israel, all of the northern tribes of Israel, they've, they've all, if they are at all worshiping the true and living God, they're doing so half-heartedly as half of their heart is devoted to Baal and half to Yahweh. Elijah will ask the question, how long will you continue to straddle the fence? Go back and forth. We see, we're going to see in this, in this man, I mean, as we read through it, I want to start out with this thing, because you almost think that, that he should have a cape on, <laughs> you know, that, that he's somehow superhuman. But James tells us that Elijah is a man with a nature like ours. And that that encourages me in the time that we live in. Because as we read, and, and, and we're going to be going through this tonight, you might say, as I do, every time I start into this, I'm going, man, that does not describe my nature. But we have to know that the nature it's speaking of is twofold. One, he's just a man. Just, just like you and I, he's, he's human. But he has in him also the divine nature that is in, within each one of us, as Peter tells us, as believers. And we're going to see something in this guy tonight. that descri- The only way I can describe it is a man of incredible faith. And as we begin this, it, it's important to state that, that faith, as we've talked many times, faith is no greater than the object in which we place our faith. Faith in faith does nothing. Faith in our own abilities does nothing at the end of the day. But faith in Jesus, faith in the power of the Lord. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But through Christ, we can do all things. We have that promise that he gives to us. The the man that, that, that Jesus encountered when he came off of the Mount of Transfiguration with his disciples... You may remember the story. He was asking the disciples to cast a demon out of his son. And Jesus asked him, he said, do you believe that I can do this? And he said this, he said, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus did not say, well, come back when your faith is stronger. You go work on that faith of yours and come back. No, he healed his son. Because his faith, even though it was small, was focused on Jesus. And we're going to see this man, Elijah, and there's there's great faith lessons in this that we're going to look at tonight. Because if you know what takes place in chapter 18 on top of Mount Carmel, you're going to say, man, how could somebody get to that point? And we're going to see the transition and the process that God takes Elijah through to get him ready for that. As we pick up in chapter 17, verse 1, we're introduced to him this way. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was one of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, so he goes to the king, again, the most powerful man in the land, 
And he said, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now that alone, we could spend an hour talking about. We're not gonna. But he goes to Ahab, and the thing that is missed without understanding a little bit about what he is saying, remember the God that Ahab and Jezebel have placed over Israel that everybody is worshiping is the God Baal, or Baal. And understand that they worshiped him, and he was the God of the weather. He was the one that they prayed to for rain, the God of, of rain and fertility. And what Elijah is saying to the most powerful man in the kingdom is, your God is impotent standing next to my God. And it's not going to rain. Notice he said, and I have that underlined, surely there will be neither dew nor rain these years until I say it's going to rain again. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's some serious faith. Surely. And he doesn't say it's not going to rain this week. He says it's not going to rain these years until I say it's going to rain again. Notice he said, the God before whom I stand. He's going to later tell us in chapter 18 when we get there, he says, when he's praying to the Lord, he says, all these things I've done by your word. So Elijah is a man that we need to understand. We're introduced to him right away here. We don't know what happened previously, but we know that he stood before the Lord and he heard from the Lord. And then he boldly went out and did what the Lord commanded him to do. Now it says next, verse 2, the word of the Lord came to him saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. Now that second statement to me is even as powerful or more powerful than what I just said. Because Elijah did not know step two. God told him to go to the king and tell him it's not going to rain again until I say it's going to rain again. So one thing he knew, he was going to walk out alive because God was going to use him to bring the news that it's going to rain again at some point in the years in the future. But he had no idea if he was going to be thrown in prison, if he was going to be beaten. He had no idea what step two was until he was obedient with step one. Now right away I can tell you, that's not my nature. I want to know steps one, two, three, four, five. I want a 10-year plan. Lord, lay it all out for me. I want to know how this whole thing ends. But he didn't know that. He didn't know step two. And so often, guys, our first faith lesson, if you would, in this thing is God does not always reveal to us the next step. He says simply step out in faith and take the first step. The, the priests when they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when they were going to cross the River Jordan, remember when they first are coming into the land, it tells us in Joshua that the river, the Jordan River, was at flood stage, which means it is flowing over its banks, it is roaring down, and the command was, tell the priests to step in. Now again, if I'm one of those priests, 
I'm thinking, I get up to the edge of that thing, and I'm like, all right, Lord, dry it up. I'll carry this thing across by myself if I have to, but step in. Do you realize how valuable this thing is I'm holding? They're going to make movies out of this. But the command was step in, and then watch what happens. Guys, sometimes the Lord tells us to step in when we can't see the bottom. The river is flowing at flood stage. It's muddy, it's murky, it's flowing fast, and it seems impossible. But that step of faith, God honored. And as their foot was about to hit the water, it tells us that the waters were dammed up miles up ahead, which tells me that process started before they put their foot in. They didn't see it. They didn't know it. But God's moving already. He told Abraham, go. Just go. Go to this land. You'll have an inheritance there. And it tells us Abraham went, and he didn't know where he was going. But he did. He just went. And God directed him along the way. God, the, Psalm 119, 105 tells us, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now again, if his word's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, I want that light to be shining way down the path. But David wrote that, and he didn't have high-powered flashlight. He had a candle. And a candle illuminates what? One step at a time? Because I believe that God does that oftentimes, especially I know when he's dealing with me, because God says, you can't handle what you would see there. You will. You'll be ready when you get there. And we're going to see that with Elijah. He's ready when he gets there. But he knows my nature. If I saw that lion in the path, you know, past the flashlight or past the candlelight there, I'd go the other direction. And he knows me. And he knows us. We need to step out in faith, not knowing what's next, but trusting the one who knows everything. And notice too, it says, it shall be that you will drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. You need to go there. I've commanded the ravens to provide for you there. But if Elijah doesn't go there, the provision he needs isn't going to be there. We have to be there in order to get what we need for the next step. And God has a, has a great way of getting us to our there. We can do it the easy way, as we see, as Elijah does, verse 5, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. That's the easy way, guys, always. That's the easy way. Just do it. Just do what he says. Do when he says to do it. Because the alternative, as believers, God's going to get us there. But it could be painful and sticky and nasty. Just ask Jonah. He said, you want me to go to Nineveh? I'm thinking Tarshish. <laughs> and it took a fish and a bleh onto the beach to get Jonah where he was supposed to go. Doing it the easy way is always better than bleh. So notice too, in this it says that I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. God's going to provide for us there, but he's going to do it his way. The last bird that Elijah would think that would be bringing him food every day would be a raven. A raven is told to us in Leviticus, that's a dirty bird. You might be thinking a dove would be bringing me food every day. 
But a raven? I've commanded them to provide for you there. It says, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Interesting, Cherith means cutting. And oftentimes, as we step out into this faith journey, God needs to cut some of the things away from us. Some of the things that we think that are the way that I do things, relying on my own power, in my own strength. God needs to cut some of that away sometimes. Again, to get us to that point of absolute faith. And he says, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. The ravens, dirty birds. He didn't tell them to eat the birds. He said the birds are going to bring it. No doubt they stopped at a kosher deli on the way every day and (laughs) brought him what he needed. God brought... God provided the food. Elijah had to get up every day and get the water that he needed, but everything is provided for him. Just like he said, God said, I will provide for you there. So he goes there. Notice too, here's another thing, not in my nature. Verse 7, it happened after a while. (laughs) Patience. Not, again, one of my natural things. Patience. God is doing a work in us And it oftentimes takes patience. And guys, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. In our flesh, we want to move things along, and we want to get things done, and we want to keep pushing along. But God says, hey, hang on. I have a timetable. We're going to see the importance of that timetable in a minute. But God says, just relax. Allow the process to work it out. Do you realize that God has all the time in the world on his hands? He's not in a hurry. He's got his plan. And regardless, sometimes how we might pray, God, speed it up. (laughs) He's preparing. He's cutting away. And we're going to be introduced in a moment to a widow that God is also preparing for this next step. It says, it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Interesting, the brook dried up. Ever been in one of those situations where you're waiting on the Lord and you're hoping that things come up and then all of a sudden there's dryness? Elijah might be thinking again, because the word of the Lord hasn't come to him yet, it says the brook dried up. And all of a sudden he's probably thinking, all right, Lord, how come the brook's dried up? And What's the answer? Why is the brook dried up? Because, dude, you prayed it, it stopped raining. raining. It tells us in James that he prayed diligently that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years. Elijah prayed that the rain had stopped. What did he think? (laughs) And when we pray, Lord, change me more into your image, we got to expect that there might be some dry times. The brook's going to dry up because it's going to challenge us to be more like Jesus. God, use me in the way you design, the way you desire. And we're going to say, oh man, it's drying up around me. And God's saying, yes, that's part of the process. I'm cutting something else away. But then when God's time is perfect, and we're going to see how perfect it is in just a second. Verse 8, it says, then, after a while, and after the brook dried up, then... 
the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, while it is difficult to go to that place of cutting, but Jesus, God, Jesus tells us, the Lord tells us, I'll provide for you there. It might hurt, but I'll provide to get through. It's a process. Now, the next place he sends him is to Zarephath, which, by the way, means refinery. <laughs> Peter tells us, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Tested by fire. That same process Peter's talking about in his letter is what a refinery does. Refining the gold, refining the metals until it's pure. That's where God sends Elijah now to a place where he will be refined even more. And notice again, verse 10, so he arose and went. He went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a woman was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. And she said, But as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. I'll get you the water because that's custom. I want to be a good hostess. But I don't have enough to make you bread. I only have enough flour and oil left to make a couple of small cakes. My son and I are going to eat it, and then we're going to die. Don't have anything else. I don't have anybody else to provide for me. Verse 13, then Elijah said to her, do not fear, go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and one for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. There's only enough bread and, or flour and oil to make a couple of cakes, but he says, trust me in this, because the word of the Lord said, there will always be enough flour and oil to take care of what you need every day until the Lord sends rain again. And we saw earlier in verse 9 that the Lord, it says, God said, I've commanded the widow woman to take care of you. Now, we don't know what that looked like, but God was working in her heart too. Remember, I'd said that God was preparing Elijah, but he was also preparing the widow. And something in that transaction, God gave her the faith to believe this man, and she did according to what he said. And we need to understand that again, that God, though he is calling us to do very specific things, 
He's also working in and amongst all sorts of other people. And here, even a Gentile, somebody that's not a follower of Yahweh yet, but God is working even in her to continue to prepare each of the steps. And true to his word, notice it says in verse 16, the bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Interesting, I would mentioned that if Elijah got ahead of God in the process, what if he'd have gotten there a week before or a month before? There would have been a week's worth or a month's worth of flour and oil left. No big deal. Got down to the very last part, and God says, watch me work. And sometimes we can feel like, man, all of my resources are exhausted. Everything else is done. God, I can't take that next step. I don't have the resources. I don't have the means. And he said, if I told you to, I'll provide each one of those steps. And true to his word again, God did. Not one day did they not go to the, the pot for flour and the, the bowl for oil. Every day it was there. It tells us that there's a, there's a little boy that's in our story. I just have an, uh, this picture, the little boy running out there every morning looking in. Hey, Mom, there, there it is. It's in there again. And the faith of a child and the excitement of a child, I wonder how quickly that wore off possibly for the rest, just assuming, well, it's there every day. I'm going to go back out and get it every day. There it is. doesn't tell us that, but man, that's so much like my nature, taking for granted what God gives to us every day. As we sang, it's your breath in my lungs. <laughs> How often do we take for granted that breath that we take? Well, verse 17 says, and it came about after these things, there, there's a time frame passes, the, all of these days that probably turned into months and perhaps even a year or more, that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. The son gets sick, and his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. The little boy dies. So she said to Elijah, What do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. She's thinking that because this has happened, there's something in her past. No doubt that she knows that she's, she's sinned in the past. She's thinking, okay, man of God, is this my punishment? The punishment for my sin, that this has happened to me, that this has happened to my son. And guys, wrong perceptions of God lead to wrong conclusions. So many have grown up in an atmosphere or perhaps in a church understanding that God is just this angry God just waiting for us to step out of line so he could just hammer us. That's not the God of the Bible tells us that God so loved us that he sent his only son to die for us, to pay the full penalty for our sin, to wash us clean, not to bring up our sin. Oh, remember that? Remember when you did that? Yeah, that's what this is for. <laughs> no, he says, I remember your sin no more. It's paid for. It's removed. So Elijah said to her, give me your son. Then he took her from her bosom and carried him to an upper room. So he's a small child. She's holding him. He takes him to the upper room where he was living. He'd been staying there again for quite a while. And he laid him on his own bed. 
he called out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord my God, I pray you, let this child's life return to him. Stretched his body out on the child and praying to the Lord, and it says three times. Those faith healers would say, well, man, if he had enough faith, it would have happened the first time. But God tells us, continue. Continue asking. Continue seeking. Continue knocking. And I'll tell you, in all of the faith that we've seen right now, up to this point, this is one of the greatest acts of faith so far. Because this, believe it or not, this far into the, our study of, of the history of the world is the first recorded incident of somebody being raised from the dead. Never happened before. Yet Elijah, knowing the heart of God, knowing what God plans on doing, no doubt Elijah has grown fond of this boy. And he knows God's fondness for this boy. And he's laying out and he's praying. And notice what it says. It says, the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And I will, I will say that the Lord heard the voice of Elijah because Elijah first heard the voice of the Lord. He was a man of faith. He was a man who sought after God. And he cries out, and the Lord heard his voice, and the life returned to him, and he was revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. And I can just almost see Elijah just glowing with that again, because he'd never seen this before either. He's alive. And notice what she says. Then the woman said, now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in, uh, that's in your mouth is truth. All of this other stuff that's happened every day, the flour and the oil, I wasn't quite convinced. But now, here's my son alive. I believe. Chapter 18. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred of the prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them bread and water. So here we see that Jezebel's reaction to Elijah's no doubt saying that, you know, almighty God by I, who before whom I stand, it's not going to rain again until I say it's going to rain. A direct attack on her God, Baal. She sends out, sets out now to destroy all the priests and all the prophets of the true and living God. This man, Obadiah, fears the Lord, loves God, loves the Lord. No doubt grieved by what is ta taking place in Israel. He hides a hundred of them in caves and provides food and water to them. Verse 5, then Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and all the valleys, perhaps... 
we will find grass to keep the horses and mules alive and not have to kill some of the cattle. Let's go find, let's go search everywhere so that we can find grass so we can keep the horses alive. Let the people fend for themselves. Let's worry about the horses. But in that, tucked in just that statement again, just the arrogance of man. Here faced with, again, no doubt, Ahab was the one who heard it, not secondhand. It came right from Elijah's mouth, right to his face. It's not going to rain again until I say it's going to rain again because I represent Almighty God. And instead of repenting then, or after a year, or after two, or after three, instead of coming to repentance because of the judgment that's come on the land, continuing to harden his heart, fight against it, I'll find ways around, I'll, I'll find ways to fix this. And I can't help but read that and look at our country and how God has been so patient with us. Yet instead of when things come and the difficulties that we've faced, and there's, a, there's usually like after 9-11, there was a, an initial response, but then the world, all the country all settled back in. Instead of coming to repentance, it's we'll find a way around this, we'll rebuild, we'll take care of this. See how far Ahab has hardened his heart. Verse 6, so they divided the land between them to survey it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went the other way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, Elijah, my master? He said to him, It is I. Go say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. <laughs> Obadiah's response. What sin have I committed that you are giving your servant into the hand of Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent to search for you. And when they said he is not here, he made the kingdom or nation swear that they could not find you. So what are you giving me this death wish for? What did I ever do to you? I go and tell him that I found you. He's going to kill me. And notice what he said. Ahab has sent search parties all over the place looking for you. And as they came into individual places and individual kingdoms, they're looking and they made them swear that you're not here. Now I find that interesting because Elijah wasn't hiding anywhere. He was by the brook Cherith just hanging out for who knows how long. And then he walked 75 miles. And now he's hanging out in this other place. And he's not in hiding you know what that tells me? Something somebody shared with me this past weekend that David Jeremiah, I guess, said recently. The man of God, walking in the will of God, is indestructible until God calls him home. As children of God, if we are in the will of God, guys, we're invincible. And apparently invisible. That God will make sure and when it's time and he calls us home and we stand before him, well done, good and faithful servant. Like Paul said, what's the worst they could do to me? Kill me? I, think, I just think that's grace. We've been looking everywhere for you. And he's like, I've been right out in the open. And now you say to me, verse 11, go say to your master, behold, Elijah is here. It will come about when I leave you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you away to who knows where. So when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. 
Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth, has it not been told to my master what I, ha- that what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, that I hid a hundred prophets of the Lord by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water? Have you heard about that yet? And now you're saying, go say to your master, behold, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet with Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet with Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is this you, you troubler of Israel? (laughs) And isn't that... Isn't that so typical? It's all your Christian's fault. You're the problem. No, we have the solution. (laughs) But that's the way it's looked at in the world. You're the problem. You're the troubler. He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed after the Baals. Now then, Send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Verse 20 says, so Ahab sent a message. I love that. Here's Ahab, the king, troubler of Israel. Elijah just said, dude, you're the problem. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to gather all of Israel together, gather all of the prophets together, and we're going to have a little showdown kind of like you know the star wars you know you're gonna do this <laughs> but it's not the force it's the power of god ahab the king who could just say kill him says okay all right we'll do that again all of these things remember god elijah we're gonna see in his prayer god told him all of this stuff he's got this connection with the lord that he's he's fearless in this and i love that i'm so challenged by that i hope you are too he's standing up to this and god is so faithful every time as he's simply walking in obedience and doing it even the difficult things even the impossible things so ahab sent a message among all the sons of israel and brought the prophets together at mount carmel now that no doubt took some time we don't know how many days that took but to gather all of these people around just a wonder it doesn't tell us how many it says all no doubt not every person in israel there but the word all meaning there's masses of people that are around the prophets that come of baal and elijah here it is came to near to all the people the people of israel and said how long will you hesitate between two opinions if the lord is god follow him but if baal follow him but the people did not answer a word no doubt feeling some conviction over the fact that they've been brought face to face with this the the god of israel the god who delivered you that are you going to follow him are you going to follow the baals these these other gods these so-called gods then elijah said to the people i alone am left a prophet of the lord but baal's prophets are 450 men And might I remind you again of the equation, God plus me equals a majority. So he's outnumbered 450 to 1, but he's got God on his side, so it doesn't matter how many are over there. Now let them give us two oxen, and let them choose one ox for themselves, and cut it up, and place it on the wood, but but put no fire under it. 
and I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood, and I will put fire, and I will put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, this is a good idea. So he lays out the ground rules. You get an ox, I get an ox. We're going to build an altar, we're going to put wood on it, no fire. We'll put the, the ox on top as a sacrifice to our gods, and whoever's God answers by fire, that's the true and living God. And notice it said, everybody said, that's a good idea, including the 450 prophets of Baal. Now I say that because if you're one of those prophets, how confident are you in walking into a deal like that unless you've seen something from this so-called God before? And we talked about this this last weekend. Demonic forces are real. Black magic, the occult, all of these things are real. They're not to be played with. I mentioned it before, I'll say it again. Ouija boards, those types of things, they're not harmless. Horoscopes, not harmless. There is, there is black magic. There is, there, they can perform miracles, magic, as we saw again in Moses when he was with, when he did his thing with the staff. They were able, to, the prophets of Pharaoh... The priests of Pharaoh, they were able to duplicate some of those things to a point. So again, they're stepping into this saying, yeah, we're, we're good with that because we know we've been able to summon this power before. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose your ox for yourself and prepare it first. You go first. By the way, Mount Carmel, just as, just as a little side note with that, Mount Carmel is where... The, the prophets of Baal believed that Baal lived. I think that's kind of cool because Elijah even says, I'll even give you home field advantage. Elijah says, you guys go first. Choose an ox for yourself. Prepare it. Call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox, which was given them, and they prepared it. And they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. And no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call with a loud voice, for he is God. Either he is occupied or gone aside. Now that's a, a pleasant way of saying, literally he said, Maybe he's in the bathroom. <laughs> maybe he's gone away a little bit. Maybe he's occupied. Maybe he's doing something else. Or maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's asleep and needs to be awakened. Yell louder. So they cried with a loud voice, no doubt trying to shut him up, and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until their blood gushed out of them. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, and no one answered, and no one paid attention. I said they are powerful, but they are not all powerful. Our God is all-powerful. And you know what is another thing about their power? They can't use it without permission. God has to grant permission. Almighty God has to grant permission 
Remember the story when Jesus cast the, 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 the demons out of the man legion into the herd of pigs? The demons had to ask Jesus permission to go into the pigs. And Jesus said, all right, go. They're completely powerless. Psalm 115 says this, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. He will bless those who fear him, the small together with the great. Almighty God. You can just, again, imagine what's going on in the spiritual realm. God just saying, heal. Sit. Be quiet. Be muzzled, as Jesus said to the storm. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Notice, 12 stones, not 10. 12. This, this story, this, this evidence of faith, this move of God is for all of the children of Israel, not just the 10 tribes. We see, again, the southern tribes deal with their idolatry and continue with that too. The 12 stones... So with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. And he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. So he rebuilds the altar, 12 stones, puts the wood, puts the ox that he, that he cuts in pieces, puts it on top there, and he digs a trench around. Why in the world would he dig a trench? Well, I'm glad you asked. He says, fill four pitchers with water, and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. He said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water flowed around the altar. And he also filled the trench with the water. So he's, he's stacking the deck totally. He's making it, he's making it to the point where there's, there can be no question left. At the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, and I love this prayer. It's short, it's right to the point, and it gives God all the glory. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things by your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. I love that last piece again. God's desire is not to pour out his wrath on them, but that their hearts would be turned back. And again, as we look at 
at our country and, and around the world. God's desire is not to just wipe everybody out. His desire is that people would turn back to him. He's not, his desire is not that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's heart. And Elijah prays that. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. <laughs> All, everything burned up. Everything. What's left there is a smoking hole in the ground. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and he slew them there. Now Elijah said to Ahab, get up, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down to the earth and put his face between his knees. And again, the picture is there of him praying and pleading before the Lord. Now, God said, remember Elijah said back in chapter 18, verse 1, the first, 17, one, the first one, that God's going to bring the rain. When God's ready, it's going to rain. It's gonna, he's going to bring it. But he prayed anyway. He prayed anyway. And God, Jesus told us, he's leaving. He's going to come back. Pray anyway. Come, Lord Jesus. Pray anyway. The promises that he gives us in his word, pray anyway. God desires to move as we stand before him as Elijah did. And he lays these things on our heart and we lift them up to him. It's his desire to hear these prayers and answer them. And he does, as we see here. He said to his servant, go up and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked. There is nothing. He said, go back. And this happened seven times. It came about at the seventh time and he said, behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. This cloud is small as a hand coming up. In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he outran Ahab to Jezreel. <laughs> Again, another great picture. I can almost see him running by him. What a great man of faith. A great man of faith. But again, we, I remind you, it tells us in verse 17, James chapter 5, verse 17, um, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. A nature like ours. I remind you again of that because it's easy to look at a story like that and say, where's the Elijahs today? I would answer you right there. Right here. But are we willing? Are we willing to be like Elijah? To stand before the Lord and say, all right, Lord, whatever it is that you tell me to do, I'll do it. I'll step out in faith with that first step. I'll trust in your provision for where it is that you send me to go. I'll go. I'm willing to go through the cutting process. I'm willing to go through the refining process as you prepare me for that moment. 
And it might not be that you get to stand before Barack Obama. (laughs) But God will use you. And God will use me. If we understand again, we have the same human nature, just like Elijah, we're human, but we have the nature of God in us. We have the spirit of God in us. He prayed earnestly. It says, James 5, 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. That those two verses are preceded by the verse that says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. That puts us right in that equation again. And if we do, as Elijah did, and we earnestly pray, and, we, and we're obedient as God calls us to do, we, like Elijah, will be a part of something that produces much fruit. encouraged again i just guys god has work to do he's not done he's not done he's gonna roll this whole thing up someday someday soon but he's not done yet and he wants to use us and i pray you're challenged by this i pray that 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 we all say all right lord where where, where's my chariot where where is it that you want me to go how is it that you want me to use me prepare me I don't, I, if I can't see down the path, it's because you don't want me to see down the path. But guide my step, each one as I go. Well, let's, let's pray. But hang on real quick. A little extra credit for you guys that are here and will be here this weekend. Look for the similarities. I love how God does things. I, the, the, the similarities between our story now and the one we're going to look at this weekend, I'd say it's coincidence, but God doesn't work in coincidence. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the example of Elijah. And Lord, we thank you how clear your word is in telling us that he has a nature like ours. Lord, we so often sell ourselves short. And it's simply because we rely on ourselves. We look at ourselves and we say, I can't do that. I'm not strong enough to do that. I'm not eloquent enough to do that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And bottom line is, we're not. But you are. And we can do all things through you. So God, our prayer is that you would do a great work in us. A work of faith. Lord, we come to you as the man did who said, we believe, but help our unbelief. And Lord, as we sincerely pray that from our hearts right now, each of us, help our unbelief. Lord, we're willing to go through that faith process, whatever that means. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week. Shadow.